Hello and welcome to the Organic Gardening Podcast. My name is Sarah Brown and I'm joined by my friend and colleague Chris Collins. We bring you monthly tips and advice on how to grow the organic way. This month, when it's the start of a new year, it's a great opportunity to get right back to basics and our topic is the soil, that wonderful life-giving brown stuff beneath our boots. Chris and I will be talking about how to make the very best of your soil and I will be diving deep down under the surface to talk about some of the extraordinary microscopic life you might find underground. Can you guess what this is, for instance? They actually look a bit like a prawn with a dagger sticking out of its backside. Finally, we'll discuss how to solve some common soil problems, including waterlogged earth and how best to fill raised beds. And because it's the new year, why not tag us into your gardening updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram? It's quite simple. We're at Garden Organic UK. Share with us your triumphs and disasters and maybe show us some of your pics. Chris and I would love to hear from you. Later in the month, we'll be asking you to send us some questions for our post bag. So look out for our hashtag at Garden Organic UK and get in touch. Now, let's join Chris in the potting shed. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? You're looking well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I am. I'm, I'm on top form. Thanks. Christmas well behind me and um, ready to start <laughs> the new year. What I really wanted to do, Chris, was talk to you about how important the soil is. It's all those creatures and little microbes that are busy feeding and living beneath our feet. So I'm going to make an admission here. When I first started gardening and I opened up all the gardening books, they all started off with a chapter on soil. And do you know, I skipped it because I just thought soil was boring. I wanted to move straight away into all the things that I wanted to grow. And now I realize with age comes wisdom that actually you do need to know about your soil. You need to know the sort of soil that you have where you grow. Is it acid or is it alkaline? Is it heavy or is it light? It sounds boring, but actually when you get involved with your soil, when you understand it better, then you will have much greater success in what you grow in it. It boils down to two things to consider. One is the soil structure and the other is the soil nutrients. And these are the key things which underpin the life in the soil and your understanding of the soil you're growing in. So this is the secret, Chris, of good soil. Thought you'd like to know, just in case you didn't. <laughs> After how many years of being yeah, a gardener? That's right, you go on. <laughs> so I want to keep it simple today, and I think you're going to be able to help me. I like the uh, analogy is if you've got a rose that's covered in beautiful flowers, it's probably down to what it's got its feet in. You know, I really ah, like that. So if the soil's happy, if the soil's happy, that plant will look happy. And I think that's a good way to look at it. So let's talk about soil structure, first of all. You see, even the words sound boring, but, you know, bear with us, bear with us. So this is the texture of the soil. So this means that moisture and fresh air will be able to travel through the soil and that will help the plant roots to do the same. You can pick up a handful of soil and if you clench it and it, it's too tight, then you know you've got a clay soil and it's going to be difficult. Isn't that right? You can roll If you can roll it into a ball almost. Well, it's one of the first things I learned in garden. We call it the finger test. So if you lift up the soil and it's sandy, you'll find it just it'll move through your fingers. You'll crunch it up and you'll open your palm out and it'll root through your fingers. If it's a clay, you literally form it clay pots clay bowls all because you can work it and that's very important because that not only tells you the type of plant you can grow into it also you know where your starting point is 
because it's always going to be composting and adding of natural manures and compost that'll help make it a good growing medium. Yes. So if your soil is very heavy, put that organic matter, that rotted compost, leaf mold or whatever, and it'll help to break it down. If it's too light, it'll do the opposite. The compost and the leaf mold will actually bulk the soil up. In both instances, it's going to help the moisture and the air travel through the soil. So that soil structure Now we talk about soil nutrients. Again, bear with us. This is where it gets interesting. If you think of your soil as a wildlife system, you know, like a meadow or a forest, it's full of animal and plant life. And this animal and plant life needs the key things of shelter and food. So when we say the organic mantra, feed the soil, not the plant, what we're really saying is feed the life within the soil. And how do we do this? It's a bit of composting, wouldn't it? <laughs> so what does compost do? What it, why is compost so great? Well, you say you're adding structure to the soil and also you're adding those crucial nutrients. Basically, you're, it's an ecosystem. And it's, but it's an ecosystem we have direct effect over. So if we are feeding our soil with natural materials like compost, rotted manure, green manure, you're aiding that ecosystem to thrive. I like the idea, the analogy, and this is for all those cooks out there. If you think about the soil as your kitchen, you're getting all the ingredients right. You're getting all the tools, everything ready for when you're going to cook that wonderful meal. It's back to your rose bush, Chris. (laughs) Isn't it? It's just about making sure you've given the best chance to those plants you want to grow. What would be useful is if we talk about how to apply this to what we want to grow, because we're in January, we're in the new year, we're planning what we want to grow we're surrounded by seed catalogues but let's get it right let's get the soil right first of all gotta remember as gardeners we're always we're using the soil all the time so to make sure we keep those those activities those all those things that are going on the soil healthy we need to contribute a little bit don't we yeah then we can put our seeds in the ground then we can put our plants in the ground and then they can thrive and it's important to say if you don't do that Your only other alternative is artificial fertilizers. You might initially get results and six weeks later, that artificial fertilizer runs out and you get it down. Everything starts to deteriorate. So again, put down the organic matter, which is compost, rotted leaves, manure, if you can get it, would be brilliant, fantastic. But I can understand that's quite difficult if you live in a city. I mean, I live in the country and it's hard enough to find manure. So (laughs) to get this organic matter into your soil, that is, I think, the secret to getting a really good soil. What other practical tips would you say, Chris? Now, you live in the city and you grow in an allotment, but you also grow on a balcony. So you can see both sides of the coin. I can. On the allotment, one of the big important things, I think, is don't have bare soil. Um, you'll get a problem with leaching for a start. You mentioned nutrients earlier. Leaching is when it, when you get rain and exposure to bare soil and the nutrients are literally washed through. The rain will literally wash them down into the subsoil and make them unobtainable by your plants. Okay, Because oh, they've gone too deep, haven't they? Well, most plants, especially vegetables or uh, edibles, will only go down 30 centimetres max. So if you're washing it through 40, 50 centimetres, it's leaching that far. They're unobtainable to the plants. Basically. So how do you stop the leaching, do you think? Well, I just think it's definitely making sure, sure the soil isn't bare. You, you could pick, put some cardboard down, a big thick layer of compost. That to me is not possible because my allotment is full size and I need such a massive amount of it. And also you've got to remember my compost is my black gold. I want that for specific jobs later on. Green manures is a brilliant one. 
So I put green manures down. I like mustard personally. But these are plants, aren't they, that you grow, yes. which feed the soil? Yes, exactly. So you can buy them. Literally, they are, will be classed as green manures. In a, and I broadcast sow them, which means I take quite thick handfuls of them and I put them over um, one of my raised beds or, or, or one of my bedded areas. And then they come up very thick. So mustard comes up so it's very dense. And then what I'll do is I'll dig that in early spring. And that means I've got nutrients Soil structure, because they'll be good for that. But it means I'm not leaving my soil bare. Where in the world do you ever see in nature bare soil? It's very much a human thing, isn't it? And yeah, we're it is. to, we want everything neat. and We go over the top on that. We go, it needs to be all neat and raked and smart for the winter. Don't leave your soil bare. The other thing you can do, of course, is you can plant. So you can actually have plants in there as well. I have quite big, two big beds of brassicas at the moment broccoli, sprouts in there. I've got, you know, kale. And so my advice is whether you're covering it in cardboard and compost or green manures or plants, actual edible plants, just don't leave it bare. And when it comes to containers, that's kind of another thing because it's not a natural environment. But what you need to do is basically, I call what a, cop, a top dressing mechanism. So I compost on the balcony in a little hot box. And what that enables me to do is I can just top dress my containers through the growing season okay so just let's go back to this hot box i'm really interested in this because this sounds the answer to me for someone who hasn't got space for a compost yeah. heap so you've got this small box about half a meter square max and yeah. it lives on your balcony yeah. and you chop up all your food waste i put my vegetable clippings from the kitchen my I'm a big fruit eater so i have a lot of them i put weeds if i run out of weeds i can go and get some from outside never short of them <laughs> but i chop everything everything up very very small so anything wasted will be chopped up and added, basically. But you need also, you need browns. When I say browns, I mean carbon, waste. So I have a, a shredder to get rid of all my dodgy documents, Sarah, in my <laughs> office. And so what I do is I mix the two together. So because I've got that's carbs. the secret of good compost, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll just end up with a gooey mess. If it's all sort of uh, live material, it will just go soggy. But I really think for those who want to try this, it's very important that maybe once every three or four weeks, open the top, get your hand in there, mix it together, make sure it's not too dry or too wet. If it's too wet, add some more shredded paper. If it's too dry, just give it a little sprinkle of water. I think this could be the perfect answer, Chris. If you have a small garden and you don't have room to make compost, just this small bin outside your back door yes. to add all the things that you're talking about. I think really the important thing is if you're a gardener, understanding the miracle of soil production of composting is a real bond to the subject matter so mm. to me i've never i've been doing this 35 years i'm never not totally aghast at the miracle of composting i just have not it just it never fails to blow me away so if you're out there and you're a beginner gardener try this and just experience that miracle because it will just pull you in further to the subject matter because the miracle is a, how the compost forms, but B, how much it does for the soil that you're growing in and how it provides that food for all the life within the soil, which then in turn has that relationship of releasing the nutrients for the plant roots. That to hey, me is the miracle. This is exactly how nature does it. If it was going on in a woodland or in a, a prairie or anything like that, that system's going on all the time. Nature does it. So if we're going to garden, we're creating an artificial environment we need to be replicating that as much as possible. Like I said, the alternative is you go down to the garden centre, you buy a big tub of artificial fertiliser, you'll get great results for four weeks, you think you're a winner, and then it just 
it comes down after yeah down. it's like a high it comes yeah. down okay it's interesting you mentioned that because the other thing i wanted to you to explain was the difference between the bad potting composts we buy in the garden center and the homemade compost it is all too tempting to go to the garden center and see a, a bag which is labeled potting compost and hurl it down onto your soil potting compost for me is about the production of plants so I use it to raise plants, okay? So think of compost from a from retail as something to raise your plants with. A good peat-free seed compost, a good peat-free co- potting compost. I think the secret is in the name, isn't it? It's potting compost. Yes. <laughs> but if you wanted to improve your soil and your own compost wasn't ready, you can buy soil improvers. They're called that on the yeah. bag. And sometimes you can even get organic manure as well. Uh, be careful of the word organic. It doesn't mean it's certified for organic use. Organic just means life-giving. Yeah. It's, it's full of life. But it, if it's labelled manure or soil improver or whatever, that is the bag you need to be buying to improve your raised beds or your little growing area i was going to say actually that what i use is seaweed meal it's a very good soil improver it breaks down clay heavy soils i really recommend it organic you can get a big packet of that not so expensive definitely a good idea that's a good tip but again it timing is of the essence just like in the kitchen so don't (laughs) be putting it down now because it's too early you haven't got anything growing there Now, maybe, Chris, is a good time to ask you, it's quite important when you're planning what you want to grow, is to think about where you want to grow it. Now, you're a great fan of what we call crop rotation, aren't you? I think I think people, a lot of people get confused with with rotation. I mean, I can understand that. If you didn't know anything about gardening, you're like, what is a brassica? I've got to move it there. And there's a legume. And then you you know what I mean? But if different crops have different needs, don't they? You'll know that, Sarah. You're, so brassicas are very hungry plants, aren't they? So by moving things around to accommodate that, to accommodate those nutrient requirements, that's why it's a good idea. Just make maybe some pieces of wood, paint them white and write brassica on it, write legume on it, put them into each bed, because I always separate my allotment up into manageable plots, and then just move them around once every year, and that will maybe get around the problem of it being too complex. I think this is really helpful. There's a lot about this, Chris, on the Garden Organic website. We break it down so it's more simple. Crop rotation is, is quite a technical term, but all we're saying is, what you want to grow and plan where you want to grow it. So as you say, the hungry plants get the most of the compost or the manure that you're putting down. And then the less hungry plants, things like carrots and onions, don't need to go into a patch full of rich, ripe compost. They'll be fine without it this year. So you rotate your crops around to where your compost is going. Exactly. And of course, this also stops disease build up. So this month is the perfect time to either look on the website or open up a book and just plan where you want your thing, what you want to grow is the other most important yeah. thing. I, I think that, you know, it's just an easy message here. We're talking about soil health. We've given you lots of ways to do it. It is the keystone. It is the keystone to good growing. It just really is. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you, Chris. Don't go away because I'm bringing Anton in to talk to us about the smallest life forms in the soil. Their role is, to me, the most interesting one because they're part of the magic which goes on under our feet, where soil and plant can feed each other. Hello, Anton. Hello, Sarah. Nice to be here. Well, it's good to talk to you. And I know you know a lot about soil life, so I'm really thrilled to be able to pick your brains. 
Is it true that a teaspoon of soil should contain more organisms than people on the planet? That's certainly a figure that I've read quite a lot of times, but it still daggers me each time I hear it. So there are bacteria and fungi which are there, and they take things from organic matter, that sort of rotting leaf material. And Compost. And compost, yeah, all sorts of things which were once a plant and breaks it down into smaller forms which the plants can take up. In an organic system, we feed the soil more for on a sort of longer term basis. So we have this slow release whole food diet, which is broken down by this sort of microbial life and gradually release over time. Okay, so Anton, I've got a pile of soil in front of me now. I've dug up a small bean plant, which it's it's finished flowering. I've had the beans from it, but I've taken out the plant with its roots attached. And there's a trowel full of soil around it. First of all, how do I know if my soil is rich in good, wholesome biological life? How would I know? Perhaps one of the simple indications is looking at the colour of it. If it's a dark colour, then that means that it's richer in organic matter. And organic matter is great food for biological life. So sort of by inference, if you've got a darker soil, it's more likely to be rich in life. There's a number of other sort of indicators as well. Perhaps one of the the most easy ones is just seeing whether your soil is rich in earthworms. That's always a good sign. It's also quite nice and crumbly. It's not a a hard lump. It's, It's actually broken down quite easily. Yes, the structure of the soil is also important for harboring good life. It's a two-way process, really, that the life in the soil helps to actually create that structure and maintain it. They're they're almost the sort of architects of the soil. Tell me some other things that I might see in here, probably with a microscope rather than with the naked eye. Okay, so you might get things called protozoa, which are single-celled creatures which help to break down organic matter. And then we've got nematodes, which are microscopic worms. Again, you need to see those under a microscope. Um, There's loads of different types of nematodes. They're, again, responsible for breaking down larger pieces of matter into smaller pieces, let the other bugs get at them. Oh, that's interesting. So what you're saying is that some of this soil life is not just there to break it down for themselves, but they're doing it for others as well. Exactly. I suppose they're a bit like the teeth of your digestive system. They're sort of helping to chew the stuff up so that the smaller bugs can then get at them. So we might have lots of small creatures like springtails, mites, millipedes, centipedes. I love the sound of a springtail. What do they look like? Are they springy? Um, They are actually, yes. They're still pretty small. They're only about a millimetre long. You can get a sort of USB microscope. You can pick them up very cheaply now. And it's great fun to look at soil or compost under those. And you quite often see springtails. They actually look a bit like a prawn with a dagger sticking out of its backside. Oh, wow. And that dagger acts like a like a spring. It's, it sort of stores up its energy and then it catapults itself from one place to the next. I'm beginning to look at my soil with different eyes. And of course, it does bring me back to this thing about not damaging the soil. Yes, I think we're gradually coming to the conclusion that avoiding digging as much as possible is a better thing to do. Um, you definitely do damage some of that soil life by, by digging, particularly the mycorrhizae. These are great big networks of fungi which attach themselves to the roots of plants. They basically help the plants to absorb water and nutrients. They greatly extend the the roots system. 
I've heard about the mycorrhizae and I've read about them. It is this extraordinary network, isn't it? It's not even visible to the, to the human eye, but it's traveling all under the ground that we walk on. So trees, for instance, apparently can connect to each other, but presumably other plants are also connected to the soil somehow with that nutrient exchange, I think is the way that the, the agronomists talk about it. Yeah, it is, it is this amazing system. I mean, obviously with perennial plants, they have a better chance of establishing these relationships. The only plants that don't seem to benefit, unfortunately, are brassicas, which is unfortunately something that we grow a lot of, but they yeah. are not very good at forming this relationship with mycorrhizae. Okay, and then there's another thing that I've heard you talk about. Well, my bean plant would be an example of somehow the root will fix nitrogen from the air. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, this is due to a bacteria called rhizobium. And what it does is it forms a relationship with legume plants. So that's all things like clovers and beans and vetches. And they induce them to form these little nodules. And what happens within these nodules is the bacteria, they fix nitrogen from the air, but they turn it into nitrates, which plants can then take up. It's a two-way relationship. The plants will feed the bacteria with sugars, then the bacteria feed the plants with nitrogen compounds so it's a two-way process that's amazing i mean coming right down now to single cell life but it's still life and it's still there in your soil and it needs feeding and it needs looking after yeah it's absolutely vital to our well-being as well what are your top tips how do i boost the life in my soil well, the number one thing is is really adding as much organic matter as you can. These will actually feed the life in the soils. We've already mentioned reducing the amount you dig as well. And my third tip would be to not add chemicals to the soil. Um, if you add fertilizers, basically the plants, they become lazy. They, they stop sending out the signals to foster this biological life. It, it's, it's in a way you're giving, you're feeding it a junk food diet and then these plants have forgotten how to cook. They, they, uh-huh. they don't, they take the easy option. Let's say if you're given the choice of a pizza in front of you or a, or a load of unprepared vegetables, you, if you're hungry, you'd go for the pizza. That's exactly what the plants do. Which is delicious, but at the same time, we know not necessarily sustainable for a healthy life. Exactly. And also, obviously, avoid things like bug killers and fungicides and and other awful icides, I call them. Exactly. I mean, the clues in the name of fungicide is going to kill off fungi. Anton, that's great. Thank you. I, I found that really, really interesting. And I think I might just you know, dash out and buy a microscope now. I really want to see those springtails in action. If you decide to do that, then I'd recommend looking at your compost first because that really is so full of life. You can project it up on a big screen as well if you want to. (laughs) I can hear all our listeners now getting excited. Big screen TV showing home movies. Oh, I must show you my compost heap. So now it's time to open the post bag and we're joined by Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Chris. Hi, Hannah. We're keeping on the theme of soil. What questions have you got for us? Yeah, I've got three really interesting um, soily questions. So the first one is from a new gardener. They've just made some new raised beds and they want to know how to fill them. 
Chris, I'm guessing you've made a raised bed or two in your time. What would you recommend? Just, just a couple, Hannah, just a couple, yeah. And I've certainly done a lot in schools and places like that where you need a lot of soil, okay? So I buy mine in tum bags, I buy in bulk. You go to a trader, someone who sells wholesale, you can buy these big tum bags. And my topsoil always is loan-based. I want a proper soil. Actually, to be honest with you, it's going to be a lot less expensive than trying to buy lots of little bags in a garden centre. And would you just stick with that topsoil or would you add any sort of compost or feed at this point? Well, I would over time add to it because like any container, it will leach through. You'll lose nutrient at it. So like any soil, you need to add your compost as time goes by. I'll maybe also throw in a little few comfrey pellets in this early spring to make sure stuff gets going quite quickly. But on the whole, a topsoil, a good topsoil, should give you everything you need. I think drainage might be a problem in a raised bed. I know that they can get quite waterlogged. How would you deal with that, Chris? Well, I will put in, when I build it, I'll put in things called weep holes. You get these on walls as well, and all they are really are small holes or slits down near the bottom of the container. So if you look at a, a, a garden wall that is a, on a stepped garden, that's a retaining wall, so if you look down, you'll see about 20, 30 centimetres from the bottom, you'll see these slits, and that allows any excess moisture to drain out of that wall. So apply the same thing to a raised bed, put in a gravel layer at the bottom, right? Okay, when you build the beds, so you've got a layer of gravel for the water to sit. And just above that, get a nice hefty drill piece and a drill and bore some holes, maybe 20 centimetres, 30 centimetres apart, just so when you get that excessive rain, it's got somewhere to go and it doesn't get all soggy and too wet. And Hannah, if I can add to that, that now we're in January, at the beginning of the year, there's no need to be putting compost down. We talked about this earlier and you don't need it now. Fill up your raised bed with the topsoil and then wait until maybe March when the soil's beginning to warm up and when you're beginning to think about what you can plant out. And that's when you're going to be adding your slow-release nutrient-rich compost which will also help the structure of the soil okay brilliant thank you i always like the uh the expression weep holes it just i always imagine someone just standing by the raised bed crying (laughs) (laughs) that's not going to help with the water it's like so in a building when i was young you get this thing called a brick on edge which is when you put the brick upright, you see it on the top of walls. And I was just imagine a brick going, can't take it anymore, man. I'm falling apart. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Well, the next question, actually, we've touched on a little bit there. Someone has contacted us and said that soil is very waterlogged at the moment. And what can they do about it? So I suppose first we need to look at what they can do right now to improve that soil and then maybe sort of touch on longer term. How can they avoid this happening in the future? So, Chris, have you got any tips? Certainly. Well, obviously, the long-term way to cure it is through compost, etc. I'll let Sarah go into that. I'll give you a quick fix now how to stop it happening immediately. And there's two ways to do it, really, and I've done this quite a few times. Your soil is likely to be clay and very heavy, and that's what's causing the problem. You could do what you do called as a soak away. So you find the lowest point of the garden. I would dig a hole about a metre down, maybe half a metre square, and I would fill it with any kind of rubble I can get hold of, old brick, anything like that, just so all the water's draining down and away and out of the uh, the, the waterlogged garden. If it's really bad as well, I would do what you call gravel channels. And that is you go onto the soil, maybe stand on boards so you don't damage the soil structure at all, so you're not walking all over it. Then get what I call a breaking bar. You'll want to know what a breaking bar is. Very heavy bar, weighs a lot, quite uh, maybe 15 mil, and you use it to dunk down, okay? So you bang it into the soil, you go down about 30 centimetres. And what you're doing there is you're breaking the pan, a clay pan, which is underneath, out of sight, 
but that's probably causing what quite a lot of waterlogging. Clay has a lot of iron molecules in it, and they bond, okay? And that's how you get this almost concrete subsoil. So you put, put a channel in with a big, heavy breaking bar, whatever tool you can find that'll do the same job, and then backfill it with gravel. And that means the water is draining through those gravel channels, through the pan, and away, and that should help cure things in the short term. It's interesting, Chris, that you're using hard landscaping materials there. And I would urge that you add a lot of organic matter into this soil, into clay. Clay soil in particular, as you say, binds together. Homemade compost or leaf mold or straw or any rotted down organic matter, that will help break up the soil. But more importantly, you're then feeding the soil life. And by soil life, I mean the most important part person here is the earthworm. It's going to burrow through the soil and create those air passages. And those earthworms, they'll do all the work for you. They're brilliant. Yeah, it's important to say that, get that little ecosystem going in the soil. Brilliant, thank you. That's really useful. I am my own gardens on heavy clay, so this is definitely a problem close to my heart. The third question, I'm being a little bit cheeky here. So we've done quite a lot of work on our garden this year and we've got some large ornamental beds that we plan to plant up in the spring. Now, what we've done is we cleared the beds earlier in the year, but we couldn't plant on it. So at the moment, they're they're covered in weeds. And the question is, what should we do with them between now and the springtime when we can plant in them? Do we just leave them as they are? Or do we look to put down some kind of weed suppressant? Sarah, what would you recommend? I would give yourself a break, Hannah. I would leave them in there. They're not doing any harm. And in fact, I would say the opposite. They're probably doing the soil good because it doesn't matter whether it's a weed or whether it's a beautiful ornamental plant. You've got a root system in there which is supporting the soil life. And that's good over the winter. Come the spring, yes, start pulling them out and get yourself ready to start planting and applying compost. But right now, I don't think you need to do anything. Would you agree, Chris? Absolutely. I think the only warning I would give is if it's very, very mild and you see those weeds starting to flower, like something like chickweed is quite a determined little weed. It will produce see where it can. Keep an eye on it. I mean, you know, there's, it's always the way with gardening. You need to go and have your little daily check on it. But I think in your part of the world, I think your commentary, aren't you, Hannah, that sort of area, you'll be getting frosts. Everything would have just slowed down. Not a problem. I like the sound of that. Anything that saves me a bit of work. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you, Hannah. You. I'll see you next month. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. I do hope you've enjoyed our soil journey. It certainly helped me to understand just how our plants relate to the earth they stand in and what we can do to help them grow successfully. Next month, Chris gets a brush with royalty as he meets Debs Goodenough, gardener to the Prince of Wales and committed organic grower. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a very happy new year. And our thanks to Kevin McLeod for providing the music.